Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. All right. Well, hey, it is, uh, it's good to be back. Uh, my, my wife and I were actually out of town last week, and sometimes uh, I feel shame about missing church, but I want you to know that I feel no shame about missing church last week. We, uh, we, were, we were in England, and it was our first vacation together uh, that, that was like a week long with no kids since March of 2007. So if you're thinking, that's a very specific date. How does he know that? Maybe I've been waiting on that vacation for a while, all right? Uh, we've, been, we've been in a decade of, of kids, and I've, I've joked to you before, we we got rid of the diaper bag and sold the crib this year and all that fun stuff. And you don't see me crying at all, right? Because it was time for us to, uh, to, to, to leave the kids at home with grandma and go have some fun. And so we had a chance uh, to go to, to London and, and do all the, the fun, trendy, touristy stuff. We went to all the, the palaces. We went to Abbey Road and pretended we were the Beatles, did all that shameless stuff. Uh, went and watched the, the changing of the guard and went on the London Eye and went to uh, Traffical Square and all that fun stuff. We did not go to the royal wedding. It was an accident that we were there during that. And I honestly was unimpressed with the whole thing. So I wanted to avoid it because it sounded like a tourist trap. So some of the uh, women are really let down with me and the guys are like, all right, that's my dude, right? So uh, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't do that, but uh, it, was a, it was an awesome week. It was, uh, it was just fun to, uh, to, to travel and, and, and be gone. And there were a couple things that kind of stood out to me as we traveled. Um, we, you know, we, we, we knew the language, but let's be honest, we're in a big city. We kind of got lost. We'd ask directions, sometimes trying to navigate the underground and the subway. And, and we would uh, go up to people and I would always say like, hey, we're trying to get to. And I'd notice that people would start talking to me and then they would look right at Kristen and just tell her everything that, needed to know, that we needed to know, right? And, and they would even kind of like smile at her. And uh, after a while, I said to her, I was like, did you notice that like people apparently just because you're pretty, like only want to talk to you? And she was like, no, no. And then like a day later, she's like, yeah, everyone only talks to me. Like she totally got it, right? And I'm like, I'm not even exaggerating. I would be like, hey, we're really lost. And they're like, okay, what you're going to want to do. And they just look right at Kristen. And it was almost insulting. The only, there was one time like the whole week uh, that a police officer talked to me, and uh, we were we were asking him how to get to this one area. We'd been like googling all these cool things and stuff, and he's like, oh, "I don't know if you guys want to go there. It's kind of a dangerous area." He's like, "A lot of drugs, right?" And he said that, and he goes, "Never mind. You're a big bloke. You'll be all right." And uh, and I was like, "All right, you know, like." I, so if someone can help me out later, I still don't know if big bloke was like, "Hey, you've been hitting the weights, or you need to watch the cupcakes a little bit." Like I. <laughs> I, I don't know, and it, I was like, I think I'm offended and hurt, but I don't know, so that was like, but that was the only guy that talked to me all week, so anyway, uh, it's good to be back, we had a fun week uh, traveling, and I'm excited uh, to be together and to, uh, to, to jump into God's Word today. Um, we, we planned that, that this week would just kind of be a one-off, a one-hit wonder. And, uh, and so I've just been praying through for the last couple months, uh, what's, what specifically has, has God put on my heart? What's something that we can talk about as a church? And so I'm excited uh, for what we're going to talk about today. So I won't, I won't keep us from that anymore. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25 today. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, if you're looking at the Bible that might be on your chair, under your chair, in front of you, behind you, uh, it is on page 756. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. And this is the parable of the three servants. Maybe you've heard it uh, referred to as the parable of the talents. It's kind of a, a famous story that, that Jesus told. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, page 756. And I, uh, I'm excited for what, what I think God wants to, to show us through this passage today. So let me read that and we can uh, just see what this passage has for us. It says this in verse 14 in Matthew 25. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. 
He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I've said it before, there's no better way to wake up a Sunday morning audience than to end a passage with weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? That's just a good closer to really tie a bow on things. Uh, but hey, this, this is a story that, uh, that Jesus told and a story that I think uh, can teach us a lot of things with its imagery. When it starts there in verse 14 and says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. I think many of us know this, but we're not talking about a man going on a long trip, right? It says the kingdom of heaven is illustrated by this. And so it's talking about the kingdom of God. It's talking about the kingdom of God that we live in now, that will continue for eternity in heaven, but that we are already in. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is the Christian life, the mission that we've been given. Those of us who would say that we are Christ followers, we are living in the kingdom of God and we are working in the kingdom of God right now. And we know that Jesus came and lived his life He gave his life for us. And because of his sacrifice, we can work on a mission for eternity. I love that this this passage says the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. Because sometimes I think we're just like, oh, that's how they got that character to to go and get out of the way in this story so that we could have the the main part. But I want you to know that, that the passage right before this really sets up what that long trip is. I mean, this this Christian life that we're living, this mission that we're living, it it's a long trip, right? I mean, we don't always want to talk about there, but if, if, if you've been a Christ follower for a while, there's probably been seasons where you've thought, man, I'm really, I'm discouraged right now. I don't, I just don't feel this, this joy. I, I don't, I don't know what it, I, I don't know where I'm at. I don't, I don't feel like a great Christian. I feel like I'm confused. I feel like things haven't been going well. And sometimes in our Christian life, we can, we can just kind of be down and, and depressed. And, and so I want you to know that, that this, this group of, of passages is really kind of getting at what it looks like to live on mission. In fact, if you want to turn back 
to chapter 25, the chapter uh, right there, but verse one, it, uh, it even, it even kind of sets up this concept of a long trip. I want to read this to you. This is called the parable of the 10 bridesmaids. And if you've ever wondered, man, how am I supposed to stay encouraged? How am I supposed to stay just excited about being on mission, about living for Jesus? This passage gets at that. Verse 20, or chapter 25, verse one says this. It says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming, come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some more for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or hour of my return. Kind of a random little story tucked away before this one that we want to focus on today, but one that is very illustrative of, of something that applies to our lives. It's talking about the bridegroom. It's talking about the groom. And, and many of you have probably seen the metaphor before in scripture that we are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of our bridegroom, Jesus. And he gave his life for us. He loves us. He's, he's entrusted to us. He, he has given his, his life to us. And, and a, a husband and a wife, their relationship, modern American marriage, Marriage, as we know it was created to symbolize the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church. And so this passage is saying that sometimes there are people who don't stay ready and don't stay on mission for the arrival of their groom. This passage is saying that there are people who aren't prepared. There are people who fall asleep. There are people who don't stay ready. And so what does it look like for us to be ready for mission? What does it look like for us to stay awake spiritually? Well, I want you to know that that's something that we have to figure out for ourselves. This passage pretty clearly says that we're called to stay on mission and that we're responsible to keep ourselves focused and on mission. Yes, the Christian life is a long journey. Yes, the Christian life will have ups and downs. Yes, there will be times that you are discouraged and there will be times that you are encouraged. But it's our job to care for ourselves spiritually. Now, I don't say that to, to shame us. I don't, I don't say that to say, don't depend on any of the people around you. No, and in fact, I think that means that you have to know in your mind how you're going to depend on other people, how you're going to put yourself in relationship with other people to keep yourself encouraged, to keep yourself on mission. But know this, it's your job to keep yourself focused and on mission. It's your job to stay encouraged spiritually. It's your job to keep your eye on the prize and to stay on mission. And you're responsible for yourself. There are times that we like to, to blame things on, on other people. We like to say, oh, I was really into this God thing until that happened, or this person ticked me off. And I don't mean that people haven't hurt you, and I don't mean that people haven't done wrong things, and, and that sometimes relationships get soured. But personally, for your own spiritual walk and mission in life, it's your job to know where you're at 
and keep yourself focused. And so as I looked at these passages, I, I kind of noticed a, a pattern and some things. Here, here's four ways to, uh, to stay on mission if you've ever wondered, all right, but what does that look like? Because this is a long journey. The master has left. I'm here and I'm here alone. I'm supposed to multiply these things. I'm supposed to stay on mission. What does that look like, Mark? Well, you have to care for yourself. When, when we say that you're responsible for yourself, we're not just like, so if something bad happens, tough luck, just fake a smile and go on being a Christian. No, 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 no. There will be times that you'll have to say, man, I'm, I'm hurt, I'm, I'm wounded, I, I need to slow down, I need to take some time for me, I need to focus, I need to take a step back, I need to step away, and I need to make sure that I'm in my right mind spiritually and to make sure that I'm still excited about my mission. There will be moments that you have to care for yourself, and if you need to care for yourself, you need to do that. Because no one will ever know your personal spiritual condition like you know your personal spiritual condition. There will be people that you allow to have a glimpse into your life. There will be people that you allow to see what's going on. But no one knows your heart and your enthusiasm for your mission like you do. So you're going to have to care for yourself. You're going to have to persevere Right? I mean, this, this story tells us that this master went away and that these guys had been entrusted with these, these talents, with this money, and you don't think there was any time in that long trip that they thought, man, is this guy ever going to come back? He's been gone forever. I, I should have just given me the money. I, he acts like it's his, but he's gone forever, and I'm supposed to watch over this, and he's not doing anything, and you're going to feel the same way in your Christian life. You're going to feel like you don't want to persevere. You're going to feel like you don't want to work hard, like you don't want to keep going. But we have to persevere if we're going to stay on mission. Here's another one. Don't, don't take time off. I mentioned that sometimes you have to take a step back and sometimes you have to care for yourself, but there's a fine line between taking a step back and, and being lazy. And sometimes we, we think, oh, this mission has been exhausting. I'm going to just stop the mission altogether, right? And if Jesus is is our operating system. If he's the reason we, we get out of bed in the morning, if he's the first thing we're thinking about, we can't step back from that mission completely and disengage. So we need to make sure that, that we don't get lazy and just say, I'm going to take a break on this Jesus thing for a while. I'm going to take a break on this church thing. I'm going to step out of relationship with these people. I'm not going to be in a group with these people anymore. I'm just going to, it's going to be a season for me and I'm going to read my Bible on my own and do my own thing, right? And there, there are moments that we start to say things like that. And what we're really saying is I'm going to completely stop this altogether. And sometimes we're being lazy in our personal walk and we're, we're not persevering and we're not caring for ourselves. In fact, we're doing the opposite and pretending we're caring for ourselves. Sometimes the best thing that you can do for your personal walk and your personal mission is lean into relationship. Lean into things that don't feel convenient because you know they're best for you. The last thing you can do to stay on mission is don't fall into sin. There's a, there's a story at the end of uh, chapter 24, if you have a chance to go back and read that this week, and it's a story talking about a servant, and so this whole thing is, is talking about this metaphor of servants who are really representative of us as Christ followers sent on mission, and this, this servant, his master's been gone for so long that he decides he's just going to drink and have a good old time, and he starts to get bored, and he starts to mistreat the other servants, and none of us have ever done that, Right? We've, we've never gotten bored with our Christian walk or bored with our mission and, and started to fall into sin or do something that just seemed like it'd be a change of pace and a good time. And we've never mistreated any of the other people that are on this mission with us, right? No, just me. Okay, I'm a terrible person, right? Sometimes we, we get enticed by sin and we fall into sin and we let it take us off mission and we begin to mistreat the people around us. 
but we know that we've been called on a mission. So let's go back to that original passage. It says this as it continues. It says, he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. I love that word entrusted so much because it doesn't say he permanently gave the money to them. It says entrusted. It's, it's a heartfelt loan where you understand that it still belongs to that other person. I had talked to a dad recently and he was telling me that his daughter had gone on a first date. And when this 16-year-old boy came over to, to pick up his daughter, he kind of wanted to intimidate the guy a little bit, but he also wanted to be honest with him. And so he looked this kid in the eye and he said, listen, up until this point in my daughter's life, I have been responsible for her physical, her spiritual, her emotional, her mental, and her psychological well-being. And I think I've done a pretty good job with that. Now, it's only going to be about three hours tonight, but I'm entrusting you with all of those things. Don't violate my trust and don't ruin this. He said, because I don't want you to ever forget that that's my daughter that you're taking on a date, right? That, that really captures what the word entrusted means. That 16-year-old didn't come over and say, all right, I own this girl now. Let's go and get married. No, he was taking that guy's daughter out to a movie and he needed to remember whose daughter that was and how he should treat her, right? And some of you are writing that down for when your daughter turns 16, right? I know, I know that I did. I did the same thing. I'm not judging you, right? But, but that's what it means when it says that this guy entrusted his servants this money. And that's what it means when it says that God has entrusted you and I with gifts, He's saying, this is mine. Don't forget this is mine. I'm the reason you have this, but I'm entrusting this to you. I'm giving this to you. I'm, I'm letting you multiply this. And it says, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on this long trip that we were talking about. And I, I love that it lists those gifts, but it says, he gave, he gave, he gave. There was no way that those guys could think, oh, I got these five bags of silver because I'm awesome. No, they had, they had a, a proper perspective and we see a proper perspective in this story that they, they came from nothing, they had nothing, they were do nothing, they didn't deserve anything and yet he had entrusted them with these gifts. In fact, it says that no one was given more or less than they deserved, but it was just what God wanted them to have. They were given what God wanted them to have. It goes on, we read this. It says, the servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags also earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. And we know that this is speaking of how God has entrusted us with opportunities and with gifts and has put us on this long trip, this long journey, this Christian mission. And we know that he's gonna come back and say, what did you do with what I gave you? And we see two classic reactions. We see the, the man with five bags of silver and the man with two bags of silver, they went to work. They said, this is what God gave me and this is what I'm going to use for him. This is what I'm going to offer up to him. This is what I'm going to multiply for him. And they went on mission for their master. And the other guy buried his talent. He buried this silver and just said, oh, I hope I don't screw this up, right? I want you to know that you're gifted, that you have talent, that you have opportunities, you have things that God has given only to you and, and you can't bury your talent. Don't bury your talent. We think of the things that God has given us and we think of the ways we're using them and some of us think, well, I'm not, I'm not burying that. I'm just kind of not using it right now, right? And in this day and age, people would often bury money in the bank. 
That was their own personal bank, right? There was a real bank, but sometimes they just hide stuff and they would just know where it is and they wanted to hide it from from everyone else so that no one would find it. And so when they say the word bury, this is a a very real thing to them because that's how you would hide things. And some people bury what God has given them. And if you don't believe me, we talked about four ways to stay on mission. Here's, Here's four ways that I think people bury their talent. This is four ways that people bury their talent. Sometimes we're just, right? You can, you can be lazy, right? I mean, some of us know that we have a gift and we think like, well, okay, I'm gonna use that gift uh, 1.3 times a year. I, God wants me to do it, so I'll, I'll do it. And if we're being honest, we're not, we're not really using that gift. We're just kind of pretending to use that gift or using it just enough to admit that we have it, but not to really multiply it. We're, we're being lazy and saying, okay, God, this is what you gave me. I'm excited about it, right? Some of us just ignore our gift altogether, right? If we don't admit that we have a gift, then we don't have to use it for God, right? So let's just not talk about it. Oh, they're looking for people that play guitar? I didn't major in guitar in college. Let's not talk about that, right? Oh, they need people in movement kids. I hope they don't find out that I was an L-Ed major and now I just work in marketing, right? Or sometimes, sometimes we, we, there's just different ways. We, we know that God has put something on our heart and we know that God has called us to use that and we know that he wants us to multiply that and we know that he wants us to give that gift back to him for his kingdom, for his work, for this mission that we're on and we think, I'm just not gonna talk about it. Sometimes we're lazy. Sometimes we ignore our gift and sometimes we do an even... Worst thing, and we compare our gift to others, right? And we think like, well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, technically I played guitar for 20 years, but I have a friend who's played for 28, and he's better, and he knows more scales. So if someone's gonna play guitar, it needs to be that guy, right? We always know someone better with a, with a better gift, and we're, we're focused on their gift. Last night, as I put my daughter to bed, she was in tears, and she said, Dad, can I please get a phone? Right, that's what she said, and I thought, I... I, I tried to give her some perspective and I said, you know, you're five, right? Yeah. And, uh, and she named someone who's her age, who goes to this church that she said had a phone. And I know she's wrong, but I, I, I tried to talk her down. And I said, they don't have a phone. And she's like, I saw them holding one once. And I said, it's probably their mom's phone. They, they probably don't have an iPhone eight, right? And she, then she, she switched to someone else and she named two other people who go to this church who are also her age. And she said, they have their own tablets, right? Their, their own iPads. And I said, so do you. And she said, but we have to share them. We have four kids and three tablets, right? And, uh, we're a great American family at our house, right? And I said, that's true, honey. But I said, do you know how lucky we are to have three tablets? I, I was like, we just keep, the, 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 that's a really good thing. I said, I had zero tablets. And I said, do you know how old I was when I got my first phone? I said, 23 and a half. I said, you're, you'll have one when you're in high school. It'll be all right, okay? You'll have one like a decade before me, right? But we, we, we laugh at her situation, but we always look at people and think that, right? We think like, well, I have this, but that person has that. They have this gift that's better than me. They have a gift that they can use more and I'm glad they're using their gift, but I'm not gonna use my gift because my gift is embarrassing. My gift is not much. My gift doesn't mean anything and my gift won't make an impact or make a difference. My gift is maybe a third of their gift. We compare our gifts to other people. We demean our gifts against other people and when you, when you put your gifts down, you're putting down your creator, your God who gave that gift to you, you're saying, hey God, you made me wrong and you didn't give me this gift on purpose, you gave it as an accident, so I'm gonna compare it against other people and not use it. We're insulting the creator when we're lazy with our gifts, when we ignore our gifts and when we compare our gifts against other people. Sometimes another thing that we do that kind of takes us off mission and helps us get distracted, we, we live in fear, right? 
We live in a culture of anxiety. We love to, to overthink things. Sometimes we don't just trust the simple truth that God gave us a gift and has asked us to use that gift on mission. And so we think, well, if I use that gift, I might screw it up. If I use that gift, I might embarrass myself. If I use that gift or put myself emotionally out there, I might get hurt. So we live in fear. We're we're driven by fear. And yet our, our father doesn't say, hey, you need to use your gift perfectly or I'll hate you. No, we know that, that he loves us forever and he loves us no matter what. And so there's no risk in using our gifts. The only risk is, is maybe our own ego. The only risk is that maybe we'll, we'll see that our gift was never about us. Some of us are afraid of that. Some of us are, are fearful of that. Some of us let that fear drive us to the point that we don't offer our gift. What I love about this story is we can clearly see in these, these servants that are given gifts that God wants us to use our gifts for him. God wants us to use well the things that he's entrusted us with. And so the issue is not how much you were given, but how you're going to use it. God expects us to be faithful to his mission while we wait on his return. And as we look at these gifts, you'll never see an example where these people said, well, he got five and he got two and he got one. They're not comparing themselves to each other. They're not mad. They're not bitter. They knew their mission. Even the guy who didn't complete his mission, who didn't do his mission, knew his mission. I love where this highlights that Those who are faithful with the things that God gave them will be entrusted with more. That doesn't mean, hey, if God gives you $100 and you're faithful with that, you'll win the lottery tomorrow and you'll have 10 million, right? God is not our our genie like that. And yet I think we have to trust this principle that God has said, if you're faithful with the things I'll give you, you'll be entrusted with more. I don't know where and how and what that looks like. and, And yet here's what I know. God is saying, whatever I've given you, whatever I've called you to do, whatever mission you feel like you're on with the talents I've given you, you need to be faithful and live for me today with those things and he tells us that he'll expand that to include more that if we're faithful with small things we'll be called in bigger ways and so the real evidence of our mission is our actions the real evidence of how we feel about our mission is is what we're doing when we ignore our gifts, when we squander our gifts, when we abuse our gifts, when we're rebellious, this passage says that we deserve to be punished and yet we're told that our our master always loves us and always wants us to live for him and and we see that these these servants, they receive praise and they receive these promises of God and they, they get to share and see his glory because they were faithful with their mission. So what is your mission? I grew up in a, a family where my, my grandpa used to buy two wrecked cars and basically weld them together and make one new car. And he and my dad could paint cars and could do body work. And so it was a regular occurrence in the, in the summer in our family that my dad would throw us all in the 1978 Ford van and say, we're going to the junkyard, right? And we were like, yeah, the junkyard. And we thought it was so awesome, right? Because when, you, when you'd go into the junkyard, they would, they would weigh your vehicle when you were driving in 
right? And there's just a certain dollar amount for, for every pound that you took out of the junkyard, right? So, so they would weigh your van on the way in and they would say, all right, a 78 Ford van weighs this much. And if you weighed 20 more pounds on the way out, you'd pay like, you know, $3 a pound. You'd pay $60 more. And so sometimes we'd be walking around the junkyard and, and I'd see like an old computer. And I'm like, dad, can I have that? That circuit board for my clubhouse? And he'd be like, sure, take it, right? Because it would, it would weigh like a half pound and on the way out, it wouldn't cost us much. And so we would always get these treasures from the junkyard and he would get like the fender off a 63 Comet or something and take it back and do some real work, right? But, but what I loved about the, the junkyard is that, that, that basically they would, they would calibrate the scale on the way in and say, all right, this is zero for these people. And behind us, there would be like a, a six axle dump truck and they would, they would say, all right, this is zero for that dump truck. And they would come in and they would, they would leave and they would know what, what you brought in and what you brought out. And they would kind of calibrate and say, this is, this is what's expected. This is what they're going to have to pay for. This is what we're going to hold them accountable to. And, and if you were in a 78 Ford van or if you were in a station wagon or if you were in a Geo Metro or you were in a dump truck, you weren't comparing yourselves to other people, right? Your, your scale and your expectation wasn't calibrated by other people. It was, it was, it was it was just calibrated by who you were and, and what you had. And so I want you to know that you've been given gifts. You've been called on a mission. But you can't be calibrated by, by someone else's calling. And you don't have to worry about being calibrated by someone else's calling. You don't have to worry about being measured by someone else's calling. You only have to worry about being measured by your calling and your scale and your mission what has God given you? What has God asked you to do with that? And how can you multiply that for him and for his kingdom and for his work? We say that we're a movement of people finding their way back to God. And that means making small decisions each day so that our lives and our actions look more and more like Jesus. And sometimes we fall asleep and sometimes we relax and sometimes we go off mission and sometimes we bury our talents. And, and so I wanna ask, if you feel like you've been burying your talents, if you feel like you've fallen asleep at the wheel, if you feel like maybe you've gotten a little lazy, what has God given you? What has he called you to? And how can you multiply that for his mission? Let's pray and, and let's consider what God is, is asking us to do today. Lord, we, we thank you that you have called us on mission. We thank you that you have called us to great things. And God, we thank you that we don't have to compare ourselves to other people, other churches, other Christians, other ministries, other leaders, our, our friends, our family. Lord, we're not calibrated by their scale and by their calling. We're calibrated by what you've given us and we're asked to multiply that. Lord, we're responsible to care for ourselves, to keep ourselves encouraged. We're responsible to know where we're going and stay on mission. So God, I pray today that you're awakening us to our calling, awakening us to our mission. And God, I pray that you're asking us to do great things in your name, to multiply the things that you've given us in your name. And God, I pray that we won't be fearful of that. I pray that we won't feel like we're, we're not good enough. Lord, you love us. You sent your son to die for us and you have called us on mission. Lord, our lives and our mission are lived in response to the goodness of the gift of your son. So God, help us to embrace that mission, help us to feel called to that mission and help us to feel confident that you're calling us to great things. God, thank you for the chance to be together today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that it is just to be with the body of Christ. Thank you for what you're doing at Movement Church. And God, I pray that as you call us forward and as we, as we look at two services and, and so many great things this fall, Lord, I pray that we won't be calibrated by anything but what you're asking us to do. God, help us to humbly and simply be responsible and to respond with what you're asking us to do, God. 
We give you ourselves. We give you our worship. Thank you for loving us. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.